quick word, April 1st through the 3rd in Greensboro. There'll be an opportunity to see firsthand a spiritual renewal weekend and um, encourage you to pray about going to that. I plan on going down Friday and Saturday with hopes of having some testimonies of those who go uh, for that Sunday. And be thinking about that, praying about that. I'd like to do something next week just to send off because Bob Foy said he would like to have some invitations to send out. They provide everything. Uh, I think I'd mentioned this. This is actually a ministry of the North American Mission Board. They care about the churches. And part of the giving that we do goes back into just reminding us, remember him, like George just sang about. That's the heart, that's the goal. So anyway, there's a sign up as you go out on the door. encourage you to pray about that, be a part of that. Um, I plan on going and trying to get a taste of uh, what God may do here in September. Plan, but We are in, well, you know, First Peter. Get moving toward the end of, the, uh, of this book, and actually after this, I'm going to go ahead into Second Peter. But today, our focal verses, chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. This is your typical three-point preacher sermon. Uh, chapter 5 is a point, chapter 6 is a point, chapter 7 is a point. I'll start with an A, so we have our alliteration. But I ask you to stand in God's honor uh, as I read from His Holy Word. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we all want to be fulfilled. Lord, we don't want to go around looking like we've been baptized in pickle juice. We don't want to be sour and sanctified. We want your spirit to flow through us, Lord. We want your word true in our lives that says be joyful always. It's more than just how we feel. It is the deep truth that you reign that's within us, Lord. I pray this morning as we look at your word, speak to our hearts. Father, you know where we are. You know where you want us to be. And it's a lot further along than... um, Anything that any of us can do or accomplish, we need you. Your word says it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So, Lord, work by your spirit, work by your power for your glory, because we need you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As you look at fulfillment in this culture, in our society... Four words come to mind. Uh, first are words that begin with, first two with F and the second two with P. The first one is fortune. We think, man, what I need to be happy is money and lots of money. That will fulfill my heart. That'll satisfy me. I remember uh, my dad used to say that his dad, my grandfather, used to say, I'm not greedy, all I want is my land and that which adjoins it. 
And, you know, there's that feeling. Of, I just need more and more. If I'm going to be happy, I got to keep raking in the money. There's a couple of verses. One, First uh, Timothy 6, 6 and 7 says, Contentment with godliness is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And then in Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, we're told this. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly to the sky like an eagle. But some say, well, that's where, this, that's where it, the satisfaction comes from. Second is fame. To be successful, people need to know your name. And a lot of people. The idea, though, is we weren't designed for all this attention. And when we get too much attention, we get too much praise, it's actually harder for us to really be connected to each other. Because we think that all the attention needs to come this way. But God has designed us, and in fact, we're fulfilled when we give of ourselves and the tension goes out. And then the second two, there's power, the idea of, I want to be in control. I want to be the authority. I want to be the power. I want to be the strength. And, of course, what happens with this, if uh, pride is the root of your life, it's easy to become a bully. And... Um, Benjamin Disraeli, the British Prime Minister in the 1800s, used to say, courage is fire, bullying is smoke. Sometimes we see a lot of smoke, not real fire with a bullying. This idea of power is going to fulfill me to get to the top. And then the last one is pleasure. The idea is, if I can just feel good, I just really feel good, just have that ultimate experience of pleasure. And yet, ultimately, that is so empty because no pleasure can completely satisfy us. Matter of fact, um, as you think about that definition of fortune and fame and power and pleasure, it's all horizontal, but what's it leave? It leaves out the vertical. It leaves out God. From fulfilling our lives and really working in our hearts. And as we look at the text this morning, we see how God fulfills. And the first verse we look at here deals with authority. How do we handle those who are in authority? Those from which we should learn. He says in verse 5, he speaks of young men. He says, young men in the same way be submissive. To those who are older. So the, the point is, are you teachable? Someone has said, are you fat? And we're not talking about, you know, what it looks like when you get on the scales. Are you faithful? Are you available? And are you teachable? Are you teachable? Or have you decided you have it all figured out? You don't need any help. You can take care of the problem. You... You don't want anybody to help you. He's saying here, don't have that type of idea toward authority. Be teachable. Submit. Listen to others who can help you. Be humble. Hey, someone has said experience is the best teacher or practice makes perfect. 
But it's not totally true. Perfect practice makes perfect. If you practice doing something the wrong way over and over again, guess what? You're going to do it the wrong way. Experience is not enough if it's the wrong experience. You need guided experience. You need someone who can show you the right way, who demonstrates that and who lives that. He goes on in the text here and he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. The picture here is keep on clothing yourselves with humility toward one another. Keep on learning from one another. Find people that you can learn from and look at them. Watch their lives. Listen to what they have to say. Be willing to admit that you've screwed up. And let them speak to you. He quotes here in this next part of the scripture. He says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he takes that from Proverbs chapter 3. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from that. 31 through 34. He says, Do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways. For the Lord detests a perverse man, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up to shame. The picture here is if you're mocking all the time and you miss God. But the one who turns to God, the one who's humble, the one who's who's fat, faithful, available, teachable, who's willing to learn from God, there's blessing that comes around the corner. I love um, Psalm 25, 14 through 16 in the message, which is a paraphrase. But I love the way that paraphrase reads. It, it reads this way. It says, God friendship is for God worshipers. They are the ones he confides in. He says, if I keep my eyes on God, I won't trip over my own feet. Isn't that good? And then he goes on, he says, God, help me. I'm all alone and in trouble. What's he saying? Be humble enough to cry out to God when you need him. I love Philippians 3.10 in the uh, Amplified. Of course, it's, it's interesting. Just the first part of the verse, Paul says, I want to know Christ. But here's how the Amplified says it. I want to know Christ. He says it this way, the Amplified. For my determined purpose is that I may know Him. That I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him. Perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of His person more strongly and more clearly. He says, I want to grow closer to God. I want to have that heart that is willing to learn. Willing to become more intimately acquainted with God. That, that's the determination. It says in James 4, 6, similar um, to this section of Scripture. He said, God gives us more grace. 
And then he tells us that he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. He gives us more grace when we turn to his grace. He just pours it out more and more. Second second word here is attitude. Look in verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. As you look at God's mighty hand in the scriptures, basically there are two pictures. The first picture is discipline. You know, in the old days, you could use that hand for a good spanking, you know. Spank the bottom. That picture of divine discipline, a spiritual spanking, as God wants to get the attention of another. Uh, a verse that shares this is in Exodus chapter 3. God's speaking to Moses at the side of the burning bush. He's giving him his mission. Of course, it's a lot for Moses to take in. But while that bush is still burning, in chapter 3, verse 19, we read, we read this. God says, But I know that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. He's not going to do this on his own decision making. He's going to need to be compelled. He's going to need my discipline. He's going to need that mighty hand. And then you go over to chapter 6, verse 1. We read once again about that mighty hand. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. He said, my people will be set free. Even though Pharaoh rebels and he's against this, my mighty hand will discipline him and move him to that decision. But there's not only discipline, there is also his deliverance. Turn me, first I want to look at Psalm 32 briefly. Because David gives a picture. This is after he's been hiding because of his sin um, that he's so well known for. In Psalm 32, he talks about how it felt to live a lie. His God continued to work on his heart. He says in verse 3 of Psalm 32, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He said, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of sun. Like trying to sleep in the heat of summer when you don't have air conditioning and you're just pouring sweat and you're tossing and you're turning and you can't get comfortable. And it's just a a picture that he can't rest because his conscience is grinding. Because he knows that he's not right with God. He's not right in his life. That's the discipline. But there's also his deliverance. In, uh, turn me to Deuteronomy chapter 9. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, um, we see his deliverance. It's interesting here to me because we see a picture here. Moses is called um, in the book of Numbers the most humble man in all the earth. Why? Because he had to listen to a million grumbling Hebrews. That were driving him nuts. And God 
God had had enough. And on a number of occasions, God said, I'm just going to wipe them all out, the whiny babies. Well, he didn't say whiny babies. That's Todd's translation. But I'm going to zap them. I'm going to wipe them out. It's interesting here in Deuteronomy 9. I see there's three occasions here. Uh, verse 11, verse 18, verse 25, where it says that Moses fervently prayed and he fasted and pleaded with God, don't zap them and wipe them out, God. It's kind of interesting. Look at verse 7. <laughs> we get this picture of these people. Um, it says, remember this and never forget how you arise the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. You guys have been so difficult. Three times he prayed, he mentioned this, 11, 18, 25. I just want to read from verse 25. Here's, here's Moses' heart. He said, I lay prostrate before the Lord these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said He would destroy you. I prayed to the Lord and said, Sovereign Lord, do not destroy your people, your own inheritance, that you redeemed by your great power and brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. See, the picture of the mighty hand is His deliverance. His deliverance. So, what's the attitude? What do we learn from this with His mighty hand? We need to be able to accept His discipline and His deliverance. Sometimes we're at a place where we receive His discipline. Because we have turned aside from God. We're not listening to God. We're not following God. And we find ourselves in a place of time to give spiritual spanking. And then there are those times where He just delivers us. He rescues us. I love that. There's this one song where these kids are singing. He says, my God will deliver and they're singing about his... And that just gives me those holy goosebumps. Yes! And the picture in his mighty hand. We need to be able to accept his disciplines and his deliverance as he draws us close. And, and that's our attitude. Whether we're facing his disciplines or his deliverance, there's an attitude that we can turn to God and we can trust him that we don't fix it or get out of it by ourselves, but with his help. Uh, for example, let's um, picture a... Very gifted songwriter. I mean, this person's got it. Got that it factor. Working on songs, writing songs, gets better with each song that he or she writes. And finally, it just comes to a point. Well, I need to move this thing along to be famous. God hasn't noticed me yet, but I should be up there winning a Dove Award. So maybe I just need to push this along. And the picture here is, no, it is not our job to elevate ourselves, to push it along. And a good example of this is David. David had those gifts. He's a musician. Remember when we first find David? He's out working with a sheep. And he's singing his songs. He's got his lyre, which was like an ancient guitar. And he's playing that thing and singing. And what kind of swoon did he get from the fans? It was a meh kind of swoon. Because it was just the sheep that were out there that were listening to him. But we never find David having the big signs, you know, around the house. Come here, a really gifted musician. Dreamy David. 
You know, girls can just kind of, oh, no, none of that kind of stuff. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. Somebody just comes before the king, King Saul, and says, there's this guy, David, and he's a really gifted musician. And I think you would really be pleased if you brought him to the kingdom and let him play his music. It, it, would, it would give you comfort. And so what happened? He ended up in the kingdom playing before the king. And he didn't engineer any of that. God is the one who elevated him to that place. The attitude is not to elevate me, but that my life may elevate Jesus. That it may elevate God. And He'll put me where I need to be without all of my tricks. And and that brings us to the third years. We come near the end of the message. Watch out for anxiety. Look at verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. And let's face it, in life, there is always a reason to be anxious. There's always something that can worry you. Or cause you to lose sleep. But we're called not to let that happen, but to turn to God. He says, cast. Cast all, not part, not a portion. (laughs) All your anxiety. It's the biggest little word in the Bible. All Cast all your anxiety on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. God loves you. We talked in Sunday school this morning how sometimes, you know, when you look at your problems and you say, he really cares about me, about my job, about my problem. It's what the scripture says. Cast all your care on him because he cares on you. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. And the word picture here is of a heavy backpack. If anybody's ever carried a heavy backpack for any length of time, the most joyous part of that experience is taking that backpack off and dumping it on the ground. Because that thing's heavy. And it's a burden. And the picture here is that weight that you carry around that is crushing you, that is taking the joy out of your life, Take it off. Cast it off onto the ground and trust God. George Mueller, who God used for a great portion of his life to work with orphans, and he made a decision. He was never going to ask anybody for any money. He was going to ask God. And he prayed for years and years. And God would supply the needs of those orphans. And he had a saying, George Mueller said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. The beginning of faith is the end of anxiety. You see, the two are mutually exclusive. You can't worry and trust at the same time. God says, just throw that burden off and turn to me. And trust me.
Here's a, I'm not into formulas, but here's a formula. Submission plus humility minus worry equals relief. Submission plus humility minus worry equals relief. Now let me wrap up this message with three pieces of advice. First, and these for your alliteration, these are D words. Direction. We need direction to help us know where to submit. You see, there are a lot of voices out there telling us what to do, where to turn. And we need direction in order to turn to the right place. Where to spend our leisure, who who to trust for advice, where to turn. And does it line up, of course, with what He has showed us, what He has revealed to us, what He's taught us? Secondly, we need discipline to restrain our hellish pride. You know what's right smack in the middle of the word pride? I. Right in the middle of sin, I. We are so... We are so full of self, we don't even know we're full of self. That stuff just is coming out. We're self-consumed. Um, see, now we're talking about a verse on the way here this morning, Proverbs 4.19. This is, um, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not even know what makes them stumble. Pride and, and sin, it's so much a part of us, we don't even know why we keep tripping over our own feet and falling down and getting hurt. It's because we need to understand we need God. Our choices without God are disastrous. It causes all kinds of problems. All right, one, one more here. Um, well, let me share this real quick, though. Proverbs 16, verse 5. In the NIV, it says, The Lord detests the proud of heart. They'll not go unpunished. In the New American Standard Version, it says, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination. To the Lord. They will not go unpunished. Think about that. We talk all the time. God loves you. He does. But when we refuse to turn to God. When we refuse to hold on to our pride. When we refuse to make demands upon God. I'm God's child. God loves me. God has to serve me. God has to take care of me. Why is God doing this to me? Hey, listen, He's God. You're not. He loves you. But He says that when you are consumed in your pride, you miss Him. You don't receive His blessings. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us we're condemned already. That He came to save us through His Son, His precious Son. But we stand condemned already. It's not that we will be condemned. God's, we're already condemned. There's only one way to come out of that condemnation. It's the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That God looked down upon our situation and He said, They can't fix it, so I will. And He sent His one and only Son who lived the perfect life, who revealed His identity not only through miracles, but through His words. And then He went to that old rugged cross where He died. But that's not the end of the story. When He was placed in that tomb, and that rock covered the tomb, they came and they found the tomb empty. The rock had been rolled away. And Jesus spoke to them. He said, go. 
Go tell them. Tell Peter, the guy who screwed up the most. And Peter, he didn't do that by accident. So as you look at your sin, as you look at your failures, God says, you run to me. Man, you can never go so far away from God that He will not stop and forgive you. That He will not love you. And, and that's the beauty, guys, of the gospel. We're, we're sinners. We're full of pride. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to rescue us. It's not all about His discipline. There's His deliverance with His mighty hand. i still got one more. Okay, number three. We need discernment so we can spot the beginnings of anxiety discernment before we even start that path toward worry help me see it god just want to quote a verse here um, in the king james isaiah 26 3 and 4 what a great verse it says thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee verse 4 says trust ye in the lord for in the lord jehovah is everlasting strength. He's saying, think about God. Think about His blessings. And the result of that is peace. The result of trusting in the Lord and in Jehovah, Lord Jehovah's everlasting strength. There's strength there. When we turn to Him instead of to the problem, there's strength and, and there's deliverance. And there's hope. So as I wrap up this message, um, are you satisfied? Are you fulfilled? And if not, where is God in your life? Where is God in your life? Is it just on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock? Let's pray. Lord, As the old saying goes, uh, to preach is not just to point fingers out because ultimately the finger comes back to me, Lord. Where are you in my life? Father, we need renewal. I need renewal, Lord. Master, I need you. Just like David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. God, I need that joy that of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Am I willing, Lord, to be taught by you? Am I really your servant? Um, that's a question we need to ask, Lord. And if the answer is not yes, then grab a hold of us, Lord. And shake us. Give us that discipline so you can deliver us. Father, I just pray for all of that. and Lord, we need you. And Father, there may be someone here who has never turned their life to the one who saves Jesus Christ. Usually, in this gathering, we're talking to people who have made that decision, who have had that encounter with Jesus and received forgiveness and is walking that life with you until heaven, until eternity. Maybe someone here has not started that journey. Today's a great day to start. Father, I pray if there's one here or there, then that person would just trust you and say, forgive me of my sin, Jesus, enter my life. And Lord, just take over, Father. I 
like I think of Tony Evans' words. The Lord didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. <laughs> so, Father, take over my heart. And, Father, um, maybe there's someone here who, Father, has trusted you, has been saved, but they need to take that step of baptism. They need to come and, and join with this body of believers. Um, you know, Father, everyone that comes, we want to be accepted and be a part. But, Father, sometimes you call us to take that step of identifying with you, because that's what baptism is. It's a way of identifying with you and your people. Father, maybe there's someone here that needs to do that. I pray if that's the case, that this would be the day, God, to come before your people and say, I'm ready to be baptized, to identify with Jesus and his people, and to serve here in Kingsway, Father. Just have your way. Father, we need you. And I just pray that you would work among us in this time we set aside as invitation or response. So may we respond in Christ's name. Amen.